reviewing TV shows and films, dishing out sports picks and dimes, providing you a slice of economics with a hidden gem tied in. Become a paid subscriber to Preston Super Show at anchor.fm slash Preston's Super Show slash subscribe. Thanks for listening and God bless. Welcome to Preston Super Show. We got a great show for you today. Great, great show lined up. And we're going to start with uh, the Toonami recap. You know that's what you're here for. Shinmu, episode six, equal. And this was a great way to kick off Toonami and to kind of get us all in the right mood um, for the night ahead. And I think that was important that we had a good tone setter as the first episode and not something lackadaisical or something where you had to, you know, like lose track, lose sight of what was going on. But yes, in this episode equal, the show starts off where we left off. Um, let me give you the description of the episode. Rio is forced to fight Guizong Chen from the Chen family to save Nozomi, who the Mad Angels have taken as a hostage in hopes that Goro finds Ryo's secret message. He fights Guizong Chen ending with Ryo and Guizong both wounded and defeated. And it's a little bit deeper than that. Okay, this episode does does go a little bit deeper than that. And uh, we can really talk about it. The fight scene, and we actually get to whole, see the whole scene now as opposed to last week. It kind of cut off there. Great fight. While it's happening, the girl that's kidnapped, Nozomi, is rescued by Ryo's friends. Ryo and the guy he's fighting stop and turn their attention on the Mad Angels. There are a whole lot of them, and Ryo and his friends mop the floor with them. I mean, there's a lot of them. They have weapons and everything. The guy Ryo is fighting, named Ren, has a score to settle with the leader of the Mad Angels, and he dusts them. I mean, Chen dusts them. Best show on Toonami last night. The cast is all involved, and it has a great pace. Good animation, and a real villain, which I usually prefer in any type of show anime what have you you know a real villain to look at the one part i found weird was when rio and chen let the other two guys go with the two girls to get away safely like they should have made the guys stay and fight and would have been quicker maybe but it makes sense because what if the girl nozomi is kidnapped again or both the girls are kidnapped and i mean then that you know you'd be right back in the same boat then the fun piece at the end of the episode is a marriage proposal like, I can't spoil it any more than that. Rio is ready for Hong Kong, where his journey will be even tougher. You know, it's a five-star episode. Through and throughout. And uh, Rio's definitely my favorite character. and uh, w- uh, A great character in anime lore. Like, in anime history, he's going to go down as a great character. One of the greatest characters, probably. Very, very hip anime. Very with the times of like it feels like like it feels like fresh to all of us i feel like and that's a beautiful thing and it was a great show then we move on to attack on titan episode 79 
memories of the future. And the title says a lot about this episode. Let me read you the description. Zeke takes Aaron through Grisha's memories to show him how he's been brainwashed. But in doing so, Zeke uncovers something about Aaron that he never knew. A bit of a snooze. Uh, Aaron is the villain. And through Grisha's memories, Zeke is able to see that he's been manipulated. Someone made the comment that that is a lot of information to get in in 20 minutes. And I really agree with that. Like, it, it it's so true. Um, it really was. And you were a bit confused. And I didn't care for the script. Two-star episode. Flat like an old soda. Uh, like an old pop. Show uh, has great animation. And that's all this episode had. Uh, I'd say my favorite character out of that episode was Aaron. Um, focused on kind of him and what he was doing the most. Next up was Cosmo Samurai 2 Part 3. Make sure I get that right. Tom is reunited with the fairy Sarah. Uh, so Sarushimi has kept her promise. Tom asks for help and she is willing to separate with her memories to fight the battle against Jaku from inside Tom's body. She also releases all these clones she had been keeping isolated. Tom gets some other help from two friends as well, joining this cause. A huge battle is on the horizon. Uh, it's a great anime short, great build-up uh, episode here. Five stars for what it's worth, and it's only five minutes long. Uh, the animation is solid, and the script is great for a five-minute short. Um, it gave you everything you wanted, and uh, the subtitles didn't prevent that from getting five stars so that was a good episode and i enjoyed it and i'm looking forward to the next part where we get the battle part four will be the final part of cosmo samurai part two next week and i think what's funny is like this is like a background story or something in a way for tom and uh sarah you know and how they've gotten to tsunami from their past or it's like this is tom's ancestor like they could make so much stuff up about this it's so funny um and I'm just glad that it was well done. I'm just glad that it's not too long either. Like, it's just something they could throw in. And maybe they should be throwing in more shorts like this into the night. And maybe instead of a whole episode, they take out a One Piece episode or something they run a double of in the future. And they just mix in a bunch of shorts through the night. And that way, we're just keeping the vibes going. I think it would keep the good vibes rolling all night long. And it was a good Toonami episode. Uh, show, program, you know. But it just feels like there's they're needing a little bit more a, a little bit more of a sprinkle on on that uh cupcake then we move on to assassination classroom where tsunami really begins to heat up episode 33 end of term second period i am digging this anime it's a good watch and kept the flow going let me read you the description of this episode end of term time second period for assassination classroom which was uh, could have stole the show for some people it's exam time again and the cream of the crop a class is a bigger threat than ever before top ranking asano however has something up his sleeve and uh, you can see where this is headed until the ending you won't see that coming now uh like i said this is a really good anime all of a class are the antagonists 
this show matures here, and the classes do as well in this episode. Koro Sensei takes a backseat to E-Class, but really to Karma. Karma and Asano balance each other out in this episode. You get an ending that you don't see coming, battle lines being drawn, and a better picture of how desperate other classes are becoming to stop E-Class. Asano is the best support character, and I also give a nod to Yuzuki. She breaks down some important details of the show in the courtyard, great animation, climactic ending, and deserving of five stars. Not surprised if it stole the show for you on Toonami. Uh, Karma is a star of E-Class, and looking forward to the next episode here. Um, he really is a star. Karma is definitely a star. And the battle at the end, uh, towards the end there, where you're seeing how it all plays out, is something you want to watch again. And I recommend this anime, but I recommend this episode because it's one of the better episodes in this show. We move on to Maiden Abyss, episode 8, Survival Training. I don't know if you caught this one, but if you did, if you hadn't fallen asleep yet, then this was a okay episode. Um, it was good. Ozen is in all her glory in this episode. The description really goes as Ozen tasks Rico and Reg to survive alone outside the Seeker camp. Do they come out alive and unscathed, or does the Abyss have a dirty trick up its sleeve? And I give it three stars. Uh, it was good, not great. Uh, Ozen is really the, the focal point of this episode leading Rico and Reg in the abyss the abyss is full of tricks and even a trick is being played on Ozen if you catch it a lot of flashbacks in this episode and that was a little overdone you learn about what the whistles mean and what they signify and a lot of the history of the whistles and the colors the order uh, it's all in why they all wear them feels like a filler episode but it is more of a background episode it's really a background episode Good, not great. I wasn't wild. Ozen was my favorite character because the episode focused on her more than Rico or Rick, which I didn't care for that too much either. It's a three-star episode, but left you wanting more. Animation was great as well. It's a, it's a, it's a well-done anime. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools. They allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Sounds good, right? There are a lot of places you can host your podcast. Those other podcast hosting sites love to make you pay, thinking they're doing you a favor. Not at Anchor. Folks, this is free. None of Anchor's competitors make distribution and monetization as seamless as Anchor does. I predict Anchor to be the face of podcasting in the next five years. If you're an experienced podcaster or a newcomer, doesn't make a difference. Get your show on Anchor today. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, 
Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Tsunami was a golf course, uh, 18-hole golf course. We would be on the back nine now when we come into One Piece. Okay, so picture that in your head. One Piece, episode 529. The Fishman Islands will be annihilated. Charlie's Prophecy. Let me give you the description. Sanji gets his life-saving blood. Luffy had been poisoned. Luffy and Usopp find Shirley's uh, crystal ball. What will it reveal? And this episode is a solid four-star episode. Sanji is going to live and be changed from it forever. Usopp takes a leading role as they find the crystal ball and become my favorite character in this episode, uh, Usopp does. The Fishman Island is trippy, and the animation is one of my favorites in this show so far. And it's funny about One Piece is we're on... Uh, season 15 and not even close to being done we have to see what Luffy will do save or destroy the Fishman Islands but there's a lot of levity in this episode and it's a good one then we don't need the next one so early we could wait a week you know but they want to throw it right at us so episode 530 the king of Fishman Island sea god Neptune and uh, they really did lay it on thick with this episode. And, and this one was definitely a three-star because it's just hard to follow up some of these episodes. Um, and then when they do it so quickly, too, it kind of waters down the rating a little bit. You have to really pay attention to make sure you're being fair. So Nami is my favorite character in this episode. Um, so that means you know I watched it because... Only 7% of people picked her. So those 7% of people are smart. Um, Nami is back with the Straw Hats. How could you not like her? Hadi takes down uh, Euro's ship and, and vows to go to the Fishman Island and kill its king, Neptune. So that's what um, Hadi is saying he's going to do. He vows to go after Neptune and, and finish him off. And it's kind of... Uh, you know, just one of those things where I don't like back-to-back One Pieces, you know. I'm not trying to binge-watch it on Toonami. Nami is my favorite character because after she's reunited, she has the best lines. <clears throat> it's a three-star episode. Sanji's annoying again. Seeing Neptune is worth the watch, though, because uh, the animation was done good. And I feel like we are almost done with the Fishman Island archetype a story arc. So now that's going to be good in the long run. Good animation and the ship battle is good, but quick. Uh, very quick. So that was kind of another wrinkle in the show that I didn't like and wish they would have smoothed that out. So if you were driving and you were hitting a bumpy road, that would kind of have been the Attack on Titan episode. Would have been some bumps there in your car when you're driving. And then those that last One Piece episode, you would have been hitting some more bumps. But other than that, it was a smooth ride. Same script as last week, just the next episode's in line. Really, truly, the whole thing through was the same. Carbon copy of last week with just that touch of the next episode in line. So, we get to Naruto, Shippuden, the 
real Naruto, the grown-up Naruto, and um, episode 379, an opening. And uh, let me give you the description of this episode after a, a rock and roll episode last week. Obito has gained complete control over his power as the Tentails, Jinchuriki, uh, his powerful cold-blooded attacks force Naruto and his friends into a corner. You know, it was a reflective episode. Four stars. You know, you could put that notch in the belt, but... You know, after an explosive episode last week, we we have a reflective episode this week. Obito is the real menace that Naruto, Minato, and Toby Rama have to destroy. And I know a lot of people really favor Toby Rama in this episode. Not easily uh, as Obito is in full form Tentails. So it's not going to be easy to destroy Obito as Tentails. They're in the midst of a battle, better yet a war, and the tide begins to turn. You know, my favorite character is Naruto in this one, and I give it four stars. Based on the story, archetype, and animation, uh, I like how this is going. And it's a good feeling to this show, and it was a fun watch. After the great Naruto episode that it was at Naruto Shippuden episode, we move into Cowboy Bebop, and you get episode 17. Uh, Mushroom Samba. One of the best episodes of Cowboy Bebop. Like, I can tell you every sto- every episode so far has been a five star for me. But I can also say there's a reason. There's elements of each episode I've talked about. Um, that I've been able to discuss on the show. That um, they have just stood out from other animes. And just have kind of set the tone. Because this was at a time before uh, anime was getting as popular as it is now and is today and will continue to be it's going to continue to grow actually um anime will so uh i don't think you'll ever have to worry about toonami uh going away because uh i think there is a desire and such a strong love of anime and and japanese culture um embedded into us as fans um and there's also a respect there and a homage we pay there um, to to those people, so that's a good thing as well. Um, if you really think about it and let it blend in, you know, let it blend in. And here we go to the description. After the Bebop crash lands, Ed and Ian's search for food turns up some very expensive mushrooms with psychedelic side effects. How could you not like that in your anime episode for the last episode of Toonami of the Night? How could you not enjoy this? I was amused. I was thrilled. Um, Ed, Ed is definitely my favorite character in this episode. Not a doubt in my mind. He was having the most fun. This episode was all about Edward having fun. Awesome animation and a lot of humor. There are so many scenes in this one that make you laugh. You have to go back and watch this. Because uh, you, a lot of you probably fell asleep by this time. It's three and three a.m. Central Time. Uh, no, two thirty Central Time when this comes on. So three thirty uh, Eastern Time when this comes on, and that's late. A lot of people have fallen asleep. So go back and watch this five star episode all the way through. Might I add, the perfect episode to end Tsunami off with, the most fitting. Ed is definitely my favorite character because he has the best experiences in this episode and really lifts his character. Lives up to the title Mushroom Samba. 
as they were all tripping by the end of this episode. So, yes, it was very funny. Faye has some funny parts. Spike has some funny parts. Everybody's having fun and being funny. This is a good episode to finish the night out on, on a positive note. And thank you for listening to the Toonami Recap. I have something special for you to talk about, something very important. Um, because obviously the uh, Preston Super Show is very important. So we want to keep that uh, flow going, keep that you know mantra strong and, and really stand on that and stand on the principles of this show. We are here talking about Biden's Supreme Court nominee, the Honorable Justice Kentaji Brown Jackson. So before I divulge into her and what I think about uh, her nomination, let me school you on the present condition of the United States Senate. It is not a Republican-led Senate, nor a Republican-majority Senate. It is a divided Senate on both sides. Right now, it runs through Democrat Chuck Schumer of New York. So don't expect things to move quickly. He's a career politician at a time where the Democrats have top-down control of our United States government. Joe Biden wants to ram through a Supreme Court justice nominee. We didn't hear anything about this woman until she was nominated. Wasn't like that for Trump's three nominations to the Supreme Court. Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and ACB, the Honorable Amy Comey Barrett. All three great justices. The media narrative, the Democrat narrative, heck, Even Biden's narrative is there's not enough diversity on the Supreme Court. I'm disturbed by those comments. What about Justice Clarence Thomas? Justice Sonia Sotomayor? Can you look at them and say they are not diverse? How dumb do Biden and the Democrats think we are to fall for that line? I will be right back after these messages. Thank you. Thank you very much. God bless you for staying with me this far. We are back. Thank you for staying with me through those messages. Russia is pounding Ukraine in war as we speak. And Biden's answer is to rush through another Supreme Court nominee. Poor timing and a poor choice of words on his part. As far as the Honorable Justice Contingy Brown Jackson goes, I have nothing against this woman. She's a Protestant, and the USA Today says she would bring religious diversity to a Supreme Court full of Catholics. Well, what do they have against Catholics? Biden calls himself a Catholic, and they seem to love him. So what I am sensing is the Democrats and Mr. Biden don't have a great message 
behind who their Supreme Court nominee really is. Through the news and other measures, they are trying to sway people into believing we are not diverse. The Catholics have too much power and the Republicans are all bad. We have a separation of church and state in our constitution known as the Establishment Clause in the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. Nowhere in the Constitution does it say they should attack religious institutions. Yes, the Senate is a part of Congress. So the United States Senate, which would confirm a Supreme Court justice in our democracy, should dismiss this notion of religious diversity on the Supreme Court because it's a distraction from Honorable Justice Contingy Brown Jackson and her resume. Although other countries have their issues, we have to continue our democratic process. And holding that sentiment, I concur with, although the Democrats haven't expressed that and haven't explained themselves very well on why they want to rush a Supreme Court nominee when we have time on the air. However, we shouldn't skip past the process to get the result. The media shouldn't assume that the Republicans want to fight over Justice Contingy Brown Jackson. That is not setting yourself up for success. Let's talk about what I like about her. What I like about Contingy Brown Jackson, or KBJ as you will hear me refer to her as in a respectful manner, is she would be the only public defender on this current Supreme Court. That shows she has grit and was doing work for people without getting paid from those people. That is significant and shows a lot of character. I admire that deeply. For Kentanji Brown Jackson, it's important we know her. She's married to a surgeon. She has two daughters. She's a mother. She can relate to parents. I think that's very important. The Supreme Court. Uh, I, I don't see why no one's brought that up. A lot of good things about this woman. But when we look at someone's character, it's almost so look at their body of work. And uh, her body of work, we can nitpick from, but it's important to know how she rules and where she has sided in her career. And I want to highlight some of those rulings that she has ruled on because that is the most important part of the of what I'm talking about when it relates to her and her resume to apply for this job of the Supreme Court Justice, the highest justice in the land, uh, the, the highest spot you can be as a judge and the highest court in all of the land. So some of her selected rulings uh, in America Meat Institute verse. United States Department of Agriculture 2013 Jackson rejected the meatpacking industry's request for a preliminary injunction to block a U.S. Department of Agriculture rule requiring them to identify animals country of origin. Jackson found that the rule likely did not violate the First Amendment. Okay, it's a little strange. In DePond vs. Department of Health and Human Services 2014, 
Jackson ruled that the Food and Drug Administration had violated the Administrative Procedure Act when it failed to grant pharmaceutical company depalmed market exclusively for its orphan drug. Grelise Jackson concluded that the Orphan Drug Act required the FDA to grant Grelise exclusivity. Okay, so she uphold that. That was good. That was a good ruling. Let's look at another ruling as time went on. In Pierce, 1st District of Columbia, 2015, Jackson ruled that the D.C. Department of Corrections violated the rights of a deaf inmate under the Americans with Disabilities Act because jail officials failed to provide the inmate with reasonable accommodations or to assess his need for reasonable accommodations during his detention in 2012. And uh, she ruled that they fell short of what the law requires. Let's look at something that I personally uh, don't like. In the American Federation of Government Employees AFL-CIO versus Trump 2018, Jackson invalidated provisions of three executive orders that would have limited the time federal employee labor union officials could spend with union members, the issues that unions could bargain over in negotiations, and the right, and the rights over disciplined workers to appeal disciplinary actions. Jackson concluded that the executive orders violated the rights of federal employees to collectively bargain, as guaranteed by the Federal Service Labor Management Relations Statute. It's interesting to note, and important to note, the D.C. Circuit uh, Court vacated this ruling on jurisdictional grounds in 2019. Um, So, what she ruled on was not held up in that case. In 2018, Jackson dismissed that 40 wrongful death and product liability lawsuits stemming from the disappearance of Malaysia Airlines Flight 370, which had been combined into a single multi-district litigation. Jackson held that under the doctrine of forum non-convenience, the suit should be brought in Malaysia, not the United States. The D.C. Circuit uh, Court affirmed this ruling in 2020. That's all I have for you right now on her on her rulings uh, as far as the highlights go. And it's also important to know how the media is portraying her legal philosophy. It's important to know her legal philosophy. She's going to be debating other uh, Supreme Court justices potentially about rulings that will shape this country for generations to come. It's very important. According to Sayil Kapoor writing for NBC News, which is a left-wing outfit, don't believe that NBC is bipartisan. They are left-wing, left-leaning all the way. Uh, He says that Jackson fits well with the Democratic Party and the progressive movement's agenda due to her relative youth, background as a public defender, and history of labor-friendly rulings. I have no issue with the three reasons he gives. I have an issue with the Democratic Party and the progressive movement and their agenda. That is what my issue is. So why would I want a Supreme Court justice who is going to be surrounded by uh, these progressive think tanks and these 
uh, progressive activists that in many cases don't have the best interest of our country in mind and we've seen that play out time and time again um so really and one thing to note from her personal life which is really interesting uh in 1996 jackson married surgeon patrick g jackson whose family is considered boston brahmin through her marriage she is related to former speaker of the house paul ryan who's also largely opposed to trump and uh the boston brahmin is a very select like high prominent group in boston uh, upper class people usually from huge huge universities so yes that is another thing that's really uh, mind-boggling is that um you know the one of the things that people like to say is you know this person came from uh, a tough background a rough life so on and so forth and we have to remember that that is all true but uh let's not forget that those days are long gone so we have to look at a person and how they are how that shaped them did it make them better in her case it looks like it did and it looks like uh she's become uh a beacon of uh progressive uh justice that the democrats are so really looking for to put a face behind the word uh progressive justice they're looking for someone and this is their person kbj um and she very well could make a great Supreme Court justice. I am on the fence as to whether she will get a vote or not, whether they will give her a vote. Uh, I don't I just don't know if that will happen. Um, I think there's so much going on now that we're getting farther and farther away from her nomination process. Um, and then that is something that uh, we will be paying attention to. But let me make myself clear. If she isn't nominated or isn't given a vote, then the Democrats and the left-leaning media have nobody to blame but themselves for presenting her in the wrong way and their constant attacks on the Republican Party relating to the members of the United States Senate. And that is so true uh, right now. So we will see how it plays out some things hover around here that you have to worry about you know obama and his uh appointed judges have done a lot of damage uh, to this country and here we have one in uh, justice kbj on september 20th 2012 obama nominated her to serve as judge for the united states district court for the district of columbia to the seat vacated by retiring judge Henry H. Kennedy Jr. Um, and she was confirmed back then that Paul Ryan was around, right? He was the Speaker of the House. So, uh, you know, she, you kind of have this uh, bipartisan agreement on her, and, and uh, that kind of goes back to her uh, relation to Paul Ryan through marriage, you know, being related. So, this has been very interesting to see play out. And I would also say that, you know, being on the Court of Appeals, it was very strange that her first ruling on the Court of Appeals was to go after something that President Trump did. So I have to ask the question, who did she vote for? 
You know, and they should ask her that. On May 20th, 2021, Jackson's nomination was reported out of committee by a 13 to 9 vote. On June 10th, 2021, cloture was invoked on her nomination by a vote of 52 to 46. On June 14, 2021, the United States Senate confirmed Jackson in a 53 to 44 vote. She received her judicial commission on June 17th, 2021. And her first decision on the Court of Appeals, as we talked about, was invalidated by a 2020 rule by Federal Labor Relations Authority that had restricted the bargaining power of federal sector labor unions. So you have a a mixed bag here with her uh, selected rulings. But one thing I like about her is her character. And I think she has earned a chance to have a a vote on whether or not she should be a Supreme Court justice. In my personal opinion, I don't want the Democrats putting any Supreme Court justice in there uh, at this current time because the, the way our democracy is so tilted in their favor. The last thing we need to be doing is putting a Democrat progressive, uh, legal scholar, in in this uh, in this highest court of the land, I just don't agree with that, and I, and I don't uh, think that there's a real uh, way to to kind of sway me away from that. I'm pretty set in stone in that philosophy. I hold that there's too much power in the Democrat Party. There's too much power in the progressive machine, and this would be another piece, maybe the cornerstone they're looking for. And I just don't agree with surrendering that uh, at this current time. I think it's poor timing by Biden. And I think uh, there's something to be learned here for all of us. But I do believe she deserves a vote at the very least. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in. And just like the hands of time, I'm turning it over to you. Good night, everyone. And God bless. Palms 37.4.